The Center of Work-Life Law has an initiative dedicated to assisting employees, employers, attorneys to navigate the many legal and practical considerations around pregnancy and breastfeeding at work. My guest today is staff attorney Juliana Franco, and we talk about the center's role in providing legal support for employees who are breast pumping at work, as well as employers in how to meet the legal requirements for lactation support at work. Please don't forget to like and subscribe, visit the Kickstarter campaign for the color breast pump that mimics suckling, and now enjoy the talk. I am here today with Juliana Franco. Juliana, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me here today, Eva. Yeah, it's lovely to have you here. Uh, you work for an organization that is called the Work-Life Law. And I just want to say that the mission statement of the organization is really grabbed my attention and I really like it. It goes work towards a future where no one is forced to choose between caring for their loved ones and keeping a paid job. I think the fear of losing our jobs uh, or being valued less as an employee because we are caring for our family members is such a big stress, source of stress for everyone. So I was very curious how your organization, uh, what your organization does to try to reach that point where we don't feel forced to choose between these two fundamentally important parts of our lives. So the Center for Work-Life Law is a research and advocacy organization housed at the University of California College of the Law, San Francisco. It was founded over 20 years ago by uh, Jen Williams and uh, collaborator Cynthia Thomas-Calvert. Um, and basically, the idea is um, we look at the laws that are in place in the United States and see how they are impacting the lives of working caregivers and what we analyze what could be done better. So for example, a lot of the initial work of the Center for Work-Life Law was around uh, developing this theory of what's called family responsibilities discrimination or caregiver discrimination and looking at uh, cases in um, you know the courts in the United States where uh, employees were treated differently than their coworkers because of their caregiving duties. So for example, uh, mothers being um, denied promotions or assignments that would lead to a promotion because of stereotypes about their commitment to their job. You know, the whole idea, well, you're a mom, you probably don't want to travel for work because you have kids or no, she, you know, she probably doesn't want to advance to partner because that would require more hours. But those same stereotypes weren't being put on men. But at the same time, men who acted in ways to, you know, be a caregiver were also being penalized um, so a lot of the work started around, you know, developing this theory, but then also tracking as laws change, um, how, how they're being interpreted, how they're playing out in the real world and seeing where we could, you know, provide research that could be used to advocate for changes in policies where we could develop model policies that, you know, legislators could use that employers could look to. And a lot of it was also 
you know, developing guidance because unfortunately, um, you know, even though what people may be well-intentioned, if they do not know the requirements that are put on them or their rights, um, you know, things can go wrong. So we wanna make sure that everyone has information to make the right choice for themselves and for their business um, while kind of uh, looking, taking a step back from a research angle and making sure that we can show people the impact of laws in certain places so that we can advocate for policies that, you know, protect more people and provide more clarity for employers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very good. And um, one of the big areas, I suppose, mm -hmm. uh, of this work is uh, focusing on uh, pregnant women and mothers who breastfeed. Um, and there is a whole initiative around this within the work-life law called Pregnant at Work. And it provides yes. resource materials for pregnant and breastfeeding employees about their rights, but also for employers about their responsibilities. So I was curious what sort of resources are there available, particularly for breastfeeding women. Yes. So pregnantatwork.org is a website where we provide resources for, you know, like you said, employers, employees, healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. on their you know rights and responsibilities a lot of the resources um, are kind of tailored to be more practical so for example for employees we have um, guides that are specific to the state that they work in on how to talk to your boss about your bump so how to ask for pregnancy accommodations and how to inform your employer that you are pregnant um, we, you know, it's not just like, this is what the law says. It's also practical tips about how to have these conversations, what should happen and what to do if things don't exactly go the way that you, you know, hoped they would. Um, and you know, that it was really developed out of the idea that when someone informs their employer of their pregnancy or asks for a change at work, which is, you know, commonly called a reasonable accommodation, mm -hmm. that's often a flashpoint for discrimination. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see workers uh, who need changes at work, you know, unfortunately, um, sometimes the employer doesn't quite understand what the change is, or there's just this, this stigma against, you know, giving someone changes or quote unquote special treatment, but we know right. it's not special treatment. Um, and, you know, people can lose their jobs, which is hugely detrimental, especially you know, when you're about to have a child, um, there are so many expenses incoming, uh, cost of living is so high. So we want to make sure that people know how to, you know, um, have these conversations mm -hmm. and also seek relief um, if things don't go as planned. Similarly with breastfeeding, we have um, guides called how to talk to your boss about your pump. <laughs> um, about how to talk to your employer about lactation accommodations and breastfeeding. And that, you know, that, that could be a very uh, taboo topic for people because people don't talk, like talking about their bodies at work. Right. But sometimes you need to educate, you know, your employer, your supervisor that um, breast milk is food. So you need to make sure that your pumping space is sanitary, that you need time every, you know, couple hours to express milk. It's not something that you can just, you know, wait eight hours. That would be incredibly painful and could lead to mastitis. Yeah. Um, 
so it's, you know, not only informing people very, you know, very simply what their rights are, but also how to have this, you know, what could be a very sensitive or awkward conversation. Mm-hmm. And also coming at it from the point of view that, you know, your employer may not know what their obligations are. So don't come at it from a um, thinking that they are, you know, trying to not be helpful, but think of it as a co- collaboration. You know, you're having a conversation to see how we can, you know, meet each other's needs. Um, and, you know, for employers, we have information um, on their obligations under law, sample accommodations. So sometimes just ideas for how a job can be changed or things can be done differently to meet the employee's needs, but also to make sure that the you know employer knows that there are options. It's not necessarily you know, a one and done thing. You can work with the worker to figure out what suits their job, what suits their condition, what works for both people. Um, it's a lot more flexible and doesn't have to be combative. Um, and then, you know, healthcare providers are really key in this whole process because a lot of the times um, they'll provide a note of re- recommending the accommodation. Um, and we want to make sure that the healthcare providers know what's, you know, legally required in these notes, or, you know, even if it's not legally required to provide a note, what could be helpful and what privacy protections also the workers have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think sometimes people worry about disclosing a condition yeah. in the workplace because there's also, you know, um, the possibility of associated discrimination um, if you're perceived as having a disability. But, you know, we think if we are working at the different points where someone could have conflict and making sure that people just have the tools they need, Mm-hmm. things could run so much more smoothly. Yes. So that's kind of a bit of the resources we have for um, attorneys and employers. You know, we we have, like I said, brief explainers on the law, uh, links to helpful resources from agencies. We uh, post, you know, webinars that we provide and everything is free. So the oh. information is there. So we hope people use it. Yeah, that's fantastic, actually, to have these resources available for free, because as you say, often it's the lack of communication, the lack of knowledge, as opposed to what people's intentions are. You mentioned there that healthcare providers can give a note, and I was just curious, Hmm. does that apply for breastfeeding as well? So, like, is there some type of note that a healthcare provider can give to say that pumping and providing breast milk has that vital effect for the infant, so it should be accommodated or something like that, or that's for something else? Yes. So, uh, you know, um, whether a note is required depends on where the employee works. So states have different requirements, but having a note from a healthcare provider can be really helpful in, you know, making sure that the employee can access what they need, or it can even like help facilitate that conversation with the employer. And we actually have a model note that we, um, you know, co-created with the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, Mm -hmm. um, for doctors to use that kind of explains, you know, the benefits of breastfeeding, um, 
you know, kind of the physical requirements around uh, pumping regularly, just things that I think we don't talk about in our society. People don't know very much about breastfeeding. Personally, Mm -hmm. even though I worked in this world, I learned so much more once I became a mother because Mm -hmm. it's something that I think we don't really publicly talk about too much. Um, So just knowing that, you know, there, there are real health risks associated with not expressing regularly, that it is a food, so it needs to be pumped in a sanitary place, that workers need, um, you know, adequate time to express. It's not something that can be done in, you know, 10 minutes. Um, yes. that would be that would be amazing um <laughs> I cannot tell you how many hours I've spent pumping as a like in the first year of motherhood um Same here <laughs> yeah so it's a lot of work and it can also be really emotional when you can't do it so I think it's also important for you know not just the physical health but the mental health of women in the workplace to be able to access you know these need so um yes having a note from your doctor can certainly help that conversation it's not always required um Mm -hmm. and you know it's something that we think should just be a given if someone needs it they should be able to receive it yeah um yeah yeah it's surprising that these conversations still have to happen because i i live in a world as well where these this knowledge is basic standard knowledge but of Mm -hmm. course you cannot expect people who Breastfeeding is an intimate affair, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So you cannot expect that everybody around you would would have this on their radar and would know those exact details that you would have to pump three yeah. times during an eight-hour work shift yeah. or that it takes 15 minutes or more. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, th- I think that's excellent. I never heard that before, that a note, it's possible to get a note uh from a healthcare provider and i think that that's true that it would really help the conversation uh between employer and employees and then sometimes you know if people need something that goes beyond you know the break time and space if they need other changes in the workplace to help them with their you know breastfeeding related needs that's something that the healthcare provider can also you know help with Mm -hmm. um, with their note for example if people work um somewhere that that requires them to wear like a very constricting uniform they could request changes to that um, or a temporary shift to another position Um, and you know or you know perhaps you know when you're breastfeeding you get very hungry very thirsty like maybe permission to have like a water bottle with you at your station if you're somewhere that you know Mm -hmm. typically doesn't allow that or just um, you know if you need to shift your hours slightly because um, because of your child's feeding schedule and just there are so many creative ways that we could help people um, achieve their goal of breastfeeding their infant yes and there is not one standard solution yes yeah yeah um, the most important legislative achievement of recent years was mm-hmm. the passing of the pump act um It was a joint effort of many organizations over the course of several years. So it's a really big deal that it was passed last December. So I was very curious if you could tell us a little bit about the journey of getting there. So it was a huge victory and um, arguably, I think, one of the most exciting things to happen for 
a lot of attorneys that work in this field. Um, and, you know, this work has been going on for a very long time. Um, but I think, you know, really what formally started a lot of the process was the Affordable Care Act mm-hmm. in 2010 um, that did, you know, kind of begin more like the legal requirements for people to have access to break time and space in the workplace. Um, however, a lot of people weren't, you know, necessarily covered under the law and it was a starting point to have these conversations. Um, A lot of the work that we did after the Affordable Care Act, but before the Pump Act was around um, seeing how, you know, states adopted their own, you know, break time and space and accommodation laws to, um, you know, permit people to have this time and space in the workplace and what they need. And we saw, you know, states kind of slowly start passing these laws and we tracked, you know, their effects on case law and, um, you know, how discrimination was still a big issue. It was something we really needed a national protection because it was such a patchwork of laws for people to get their needs met. Um, And of course, during the pandemic, we saw that there was a formula shortage um, and a caregiving crisis. So these conversations were coming up a lot more like, well, we want people to go back to work, but there aren't really the supports that are needed, you know, you know, universally across the United States so that people can breastfeed. But there's also a shortage of food for babies and not very many alternatives. So, um, you know, that conversation was had about, you know, what are we really doing to enable people to continue their breastfeeding journey when they go back to the workplace? And, you know, for years, this type of legislation was introduced, wasn't always successful. Um, But after a lot of work by, you know, talented advocates and really motivated legislators um, and, you know, concessions were made along the way, as you see airline crew members and pilots are excluded from the Mm -hmm. law. Um, It was passed and it was really, I think the effort of, you know, decades of work Um, and a very, very dedicated uh, collaboration of partners that got it through in about two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, it was incredible. Um, I'm in awe of my colleagues who worked really dedicated, like really dedicated their, so much of their time to it. Um, it is something that I think future generations of women in the United States are going to like hopefully appreciate. Yes. Um, and well, not just women, all, you know, breastfeeding and chestfeeding people. Um, so, I mean, it's hard to say like really what the lead up to it was when it was years and years of efforts, slowly building on laws and talking to people in different states about why this is important. If you want to support families and children and, you know, women in the workplace, Mm-hmm. this is critical you can't ignore it <laughs> um and you know the I think the pandemic really brought a lot of these issues up like yeah. we need more of an infrastructure and this is such a simple place to start yes um so yes yeah, so I think you know now um a lot of the work 
that we're doing in our organization is making sure that people understand what their rights are under the law, um, making sure that, you know, uh, employers also know what their obligations are, that we have um, kind of a clear understanding of guidance. The D Department of Labor um, put out, you know, guidance for mm -hmm. folks that we think is really helpful. So we want people to know that that exists. Um, and, you know, there's still questions that are coming up every day about, you know, how this could affect particular workers in particular situations. And we just want to make sure that people, you know, have the information they need to make the best decisions for themselves and their families mm -hmm. um, and, you know, provide any support that we can. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's exciting. Oh, it's so exciting. I was so excited when I saw it in December. I remember last June, mm -hmm. I think it was in June when it first time didn't pass, mm -hmm. right? And then it came back and I, I wasn't actually expecting, I was very surprised that it was coming back and being mm -hmm. victorious <laughs> in such a short period of time. So that was so amazing. Yes, and um, like I said, um, Two of my colleagues, uh, Liz Morris and Jessica Lee, they're absolutely brilliant. They, um, I think we're really our office champions on, you know, mm -hmm. the bill and the research behind it. So I think, um, you know, a huge shout out to all the advocates and people who for decades have done the research behind this to get it passed. It was, um, I think, surprising for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, I think the expectation was like, okay, well, maybe it'll need to be introduced another time. Yeah. But I think it was, uh, it was time. It was time. Oh, it was great. Yeah. And I saw you celebrated at the White House not that long ago, right? Yeah. So uh, the White House had a celebration for mm -hmm. the Pump Act where advocates were invited. Um, our deputy director, Liz Morris, and our director of the Pregnant Scholar Initiative, Jessica Lee, uh, were in attendance. I think, you know, it's such an amazing mm -hmm. kind of like gathering of people um, to celebrate this incredible law. And I'm just hoping that there is uh, more opportunity to celebrate as we, you know, make more progress for the rights of caregivers in the workplace. Absolutely. I think seeing <laughs> the difference it will make to mom's lives is the real mm -hmm. celebration. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. we are eight months in into the act being passed. And I, I think that was a grace period on, up until May when uh, companies would have to kind of get their act together and uh, figure out how they're going to comply. So I, don't, I was just curious how, how things are going after eight months. Um, so like I said, the guidance that the Department of Labor issued, I think has been very helpful in um, people understanding what their obligations are under the law, what their rights are. I think, you know, a lot of um, the past eight months have been working around people understanding um, not just the Pump Act, but the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act that also passed in December and how they essentially work together. Mm -hmm. um, so we have been answering a lot of questions from people on our free legal helplines, um, providing you know written um, comments to agencies. Uh, we've been looking at you know trends in, um the law and um you know closely watching out for cases that may, may be filed um just to see 
kind of the direction things are going. Um, a lot of what we really have been, you know, noticing is really that it, it is rings true that when people have clear guidance about their rights and responsibilities, um, litigation rates tend to, you know, not be as high. So for example, in um, family caregiver laws, so not quite, you know, the exact same type of um, cases and not the PUMP Act or the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. I don't think we have enough data to really analyze that yet. Mm -hmm. But with family caregiver laws in the United States, we saw that, you know, it was like a fraction of a percentage, like that an employer was likely to be sued when there was a law in place. You're more likely to be struck by lightning. Hmm. Um, so, you know, thinking of that, when there's clear guidance for people on, you know, accommodating pregnant workers and acknowledging that lactation is a pregnancy related condition. So you also need to accommodate that. And then having the pump act and it's very clear guidance by the department of labor. Um, I, I think that clarity is something beautiful. It makes people feel confident about what they can ask for, what they can receive and what employers can provide for employees. Um, we've seen, you know, in research from years before the laws that when you provide these types of protections for workers, you increase retention rates, you increase productivity, overall employee morale and health. It's just incredible. So we're hoping to see the same effects. But in the past eight months, I think a lot of it has been sorting out any questions people may have because these laws work together. Um, and also um, just, you know, being really on hand on our phone lines, making sure that, you know, people know what has changed. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of our work has also been on providing webinars for attorneys and um, just generally folks in the public who, you know, want to know um, how this impacts them mm -hmm. and, you know, what they can do to support people in the workplace. Right. So the the website, I'm going to include in the description uh, links to these guidances and, of course, mm -hmm. the website of the Pregnant at Work initiative. And I guess there is a helpline phone number there if somebody needs any further information or help um, with this. Um, you mentioned about the webinar. Um, so you introduced a webinar about the Pump Act itself. And would you mind to tell us who is it for and what do you cover in this training? So um, the webinar was part of a two-part webinar series with the National Employment Lawyer Associations and um, you know other collaborating organizations. The first webinar was about the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. And the second was about the Pump Act. And a lot of the discussion was about, um, you know, the guidance that came out, but also um, kind of, let me look at the description again. So basics, um, identifying the needs of workers, uh, best practices for counseling uh, workers who are in need of lactation accommodations, and also just really understanding how the PUMP Act intersects with the new Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. Mm -hmm. um, and it is available for free to watch on YouTube. We have a link to it on our website. It is the intended audience is attorneys, 
but I think the way that the information is displayed um, could be useful for advocates. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, there may be some upcoming webinars or existing webinars by other partner organizations that are aimed more at workers. Right. But regardless, a lot of a lot of our website has you know free worker resources. We're in the process of updating pretty much every single resource document <laughs> on our website, um, both with state specific information, but also you know federal information on these laws, um, so that workers know what you know what their current status is. Yes. Um, but again, if anyone has questions, we have our free legal helplines. They're, like I said, free. Mm. Um, and we really enjoy being able to help people understand their rights or, you know, if something um, feels like it's not being handled correctly at work mm -hmm. um, and they just want an opinion on, you know, some someone to talk something through and learn about their options, um, we're there for that too. Because, you know, of course, people have the option to file, you know, um, a complaint with a state enforcement, a federal enforcement agency. But sometimes I think people um, first want to talk to someone so they know how to handle things, you know, with their employer, maybe by like writing a letter or having a difficult conversation before it gets to the point of filing a complaint. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. I think that's such a great hub uh, for mothers and employers as well. Okay, well, uh, is there anything else that you would like to add or you have any thoughts to add to this? I think really um, I encourage people to, um, you know, seek out this information. If you feel um, that you, you know, are in a situation in the workplace where you're, you know, not being supported or unaware of what your rights are, um, we have our free legal helpline. We're always there to support folks. Um, and also, you know, um, our tools are free. Partner organizations also have, you know, great free tools, information is out there. Um, so I, I just want to assure people that there is a support network. Yes. Um, these laws passed, but you're not, you know, alone in trying to figure it out. I know a lot of the times, motherhood can already be overwhelming enough um you know please uh, seek out our support we are there for you just waiting to answer your call i think that is so good we're going to include all of those details in the description i think it's so amazing and even just knowing that this support network is out there that's half of the mm -hmm. half of the support that we actually need that confidence of knowing that we are not alone in this it's just amazing. So thank you so much for, for the time and for this amazing work that you do. Thank you.